Hello, this is episode 338 of the Global Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Ravi. So this is the third podcast in the set. I'm not sure if there will be a fourth. This is how far my brain has got. Again, I'm recording this for the future. We probably won't go out for a week. This has been like trying to make three jigsaws, 3,000-piece jigsaws, out of a box of jumbo. And I'm going to keep this quite informal because I'm a very informal person. I work on first name basis with all of my notes and the ways that I interact with everybody. So I'm not very good at titles. And rather than try to do it for one and not do it for another and so on, I'm just going to be quite upfront about that. And it's an unusual departure for me as well because often when I talk about things, I talk about them quite loosely. I don't give specifics, I present kind of ideas, present the books that I've read that have come to those. But in this case I'm going to present a series of YouTube interviews because I've this is kind of where I ironically started researching this topic. And then I went and looked at all of everything else that I've recorded in the meantime. So I'm going to be very clear about who I'm talking about. I can't hide. And there are a couple of really important points. One is that change takes a long time. The second one is that when a lot of people who judge these topics in the mass media, particularly all of the YouTube gurus that have set themselves up, they're often not doing so in a historical context and they're not recognizing just how long change takes. And that's one part of this. If you you take one thing away from the podcast, that's one of the things I'd like you to take, that you sometimes have to look very deep for change and the fact that I'm going to talk about four generations here in order to get to that point. And the other really critical point that I'd like you to take on board is that, and this was really brought to to root for me in reading Bell Hooks's book Ain't I a Woman, sometimes when we start having a conversation about racism If we don't strip away the layer of the conversation that's really about sexism, we can't even get to the racism. And so this podcast and this thread of change is about sexism. And if we unravel that and we look at that in all honesty in relation to Meghan and Harry, we start to have a very different viewpoint on how they have been perceived and how they have been criticised. So there's three links that I'm going to include straight off. I'm going to include a link to the engagement of Charles and Diana, the engagement of William and Kate, and the engagement of Harry and Meghan. And it's quite extraordinary to watch those interviews. In the first interview of the the first generation, we have a situation where The woman doesn't speak. She doesn't answer any difficult questions. She looks to her future husband to pick up the ball on everything that has been asked. It's kind of like, should I answer that? Can I speak? She looks to him for permission for that entire interview of can I speak? It's it's so striking. And the one part where she presents an emotion to the interviewer He's like, oh yes, you, you must, you, you're giving up, you know, some independence. And she's like, no, I, I'm, I'm upset about the fact that I'm going to, to miss the children that I've been working with because she, she was working in childcare, and it hasn't even been contemplated 
that she has a career or a role or a position in society before she's getting married. It hasn't even been contemplated what she's giving up. When we move to the interview of William and Kate getting engaged, we have a little bit more emphasis on the romance. We have a little bit more of Kate speaking for herself, but yet the entire physicality of the interview is still that the man is the most predominant figure towards the interviewer. And Kate's physicality is turned towards him, and yet again, at key critical moments that are anything to do with the future or decisions, she will again look to her future husband to answer those questions. So we have a a slight shift taking place, but not as much as we would expect. In the third interview with Meghan and Harry, we have two people who sit much closer together, are physically tactile with each other, look to each other to engage in topics, both of them mutually. They're both mutually involved in the interview. They both speak for themselves and they keep naively using the concepts of team, being responsible for their position, respond the responsibility that comes at having a, a voice and a position in society where people listen to you. And my favorite part of that interview is when the interviewer is exceedingly misogynist and says to Megan, oh, you get a husband, you know, as well as a new country out of this. And Harry does this kind of jig around on the couch and like, oh, you get a husband, you know, because, and he actually takes the piss out of the interviewer because it's so misogynistic. And that, that, like, that is just such a striking difference. The next interview I'm going to include is the interview of Diana with Michael Brashear, which is a really obnoxious interview in terms of the BBC's history because essentially this interview was blackmailed out of the, the Spencer family. But there are some really key parts to this interview. And I think, unfortunately, the version I have has got Chinese subtitles. There's two really striking aspects for me in it. One, she, she won't admit that there were not people present to help her. That's the one thing that I feel that she's not honest about in the interview. And if, if we roll on to the interview with Megan and Harry, that is a complete shift in terrain. In, in a woman being honest and a man sitting there and being honest and defending a woman saying help was not available when we needed it. But it could be exactly the same conversation that you're having, the same sense of struggles because of the demands of what was the work that you were doing, which Diana speaks about in the interview, and how traumatic that work was while being in the public eye, while being dissected by the, the media. And she talks about having made an off-the-cuff remark because of her own lack of education and sort of putting Charles above her in terms of his intelligence and the media running with that line and always basically sort of saying that she was as thick as a plank and saying that she really regretted making that that, that off-the-cuff remark and that, you know, that it, it followed her around for a long time. And the, the, the trauma of what she was going through and all of that, the public eye and the lack of help and the, and the sense of having to, to hide what she was, was taking place for her. But we could be having exactly the same conversations as, as Megan is now having. The only difference is, is she's saying, you didn't help me. 
But the most striking remark in that interview by Diana is there was no room for my growth. Think back to that original clip of her at 19 getting engaged, moving into this royal set, not really knowing what she was setting herself up for. And the woman in that interview speaking and the position she's had in society, the work that she's gone forward to do, the work that Harry has carried on in, in her legacy. And she's saying there was no room for that growth. There was no room for me to grow and develop as an individual and do this. And that's, that's a really striking place. So you can see how much has changed in, in, in that time span in terms of what a woman feels she can do. And to have a man sitting beside her on the couch talking about forming a team together and working together and being equal. Like that is huge. That was their biggest naivety. And that is why this is a conversation on sexism. The last interview clip I'm going to include for you because I started to, there's been a lot of comparisons made with the abdication of Edward so that he could form a relationship with Wallace Simpson. And there's a very interesting interview with, with Edward. And what strikes me is that the comparison that you can make is actually between himself and Harry in the sense. It's, it's not about the fact that, yes, they have picked love and picked their relationship over the expectations of the royal family and the expectations of people and fitting into that. What's so striking for me is that Edward was a similar character who wasn't going to sit on the fence, on the political fence, that he was exceedingly well educated. He had seen a lot of the world. And there's a story that he tells about being expected to drive a Rolls Royce into a situation of poverty in, in the UK. And he's like, I can't drive in, in, in a Rolls Royce into that, that environment. That's not appropriate. And so that's a sort of a very self-aware individual he was. He was politically very self-aware. He didn't automatically have a sense of privilege and entitlement, he very much tried to meet the people that he was going to meet and meet them where they were at and not appear, you know, chauffeur driven into a situation in a Rolls Royce. And that's the great comparison that I see between them. It's not necessarily the love story and the fact that we, we love to hate Wallace Simpson. We want to pick over that and pick it apart and say that there, it wasn't a love story, and we want to do comparisons of the woman corrupting the man, the royal man here, who, who left his position in society and all of that. That is not what's happening here. The change, if you want to take it away, is that Meghan and Harry have a platform, and they are in the world, and they are working, and they are continuing to have a voice and continuing to have an expression for what they care about as a united force which Wallace and Edward didn't have. And that's the change. That's the change that is taking place in society. That is the change to sexism. And when you get that straight in your head and you start to look at the sort of people who are criticizing them and you start to see that they're predominantly white men who like to keep the status quo in terms of sexism, then you start to look at this conversation very differently. You look at all of the criticism and all of the judgments very differently. 
And you'll see what has really changed and what Diana really gave to her son. He gave her equality for women and the ability to actually form a team in a true partnership and to go out in the world and do the work that they care about and to keep talking when it's difficult. They're not hiding away like Wallace and Edward did. They haven't shut up. That's the difference here. They still have a vocal expression for what they care about, no matter how much you criticise them.